This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, God is speaking through the prophet and he said, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, a little bit of context, before we go any further, a little bit of context is, uh, is appropriate here, I believe. At the time that God speaks this to the prophet, the second temple is being rebuilt. The first temple was Solomon's temple. It was destroyed when Israel disobeyed the Lord, uh, primarily in, uh, in the days of Solomon's son. And, uh, and the kingdom of Israel was split in two. And um, uh, the northern kingdom was uh, defeated by the Babylonians, uh, well actually I guess it was the Assyrians first that came in, and, um, uh, and uh, destroyed the temple, they took away all the elements of the temple, took all the gold out of the temple and so forth, and so after many many years of captivity, now Israel is, is uh, going back into its own homeland to rebuild the temple. So we could assume, I mean on the surface it looks like God is saying, now when you rebuild the second temple, it's going to be even better than the first one. But we know that that wasn't the case. We know that uh, when the second temple was finished and dedicated, there were those who were uh, older, much older, uh, but were, uh, had still seen the first temple dedicated, had still witnessed the, the first temple and, and seen some of the things that took place before it was destroyed. And they wept because they said the second temple was nothing in comparison to the first. Well, then where it says... It goes further to say the glory of the latter house, the glory of the, 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 what we might assume to be the second temple would be greater than the first. That wasn't true. So that can't be what he's talking about then. The third temple was built. There was a third temple that was built, and it was built by Herod. Now, Herod was a political ruler and a political appointee of the Romans for the purpose of keeping the Jews in line. He was a Jew himself. But, um, but the Romans put him in, in charge of uh, the area of Judea, specifically Jerusalem and the outlying areas, for the purpose of keeping the Jews in line. They had the, the idea that, that a Jew would be able to control his own people type stuff. And so he built a temple, but the temple was not built for the glory of God. He wasn't a, a worshiper of God himself. He wasn't a keeper of the law. He built it for his own glory. He was known, even in history now, he was known as Herod the Builder. Because he built not only the, the temple, he did that to appease the Jews primarily, make them happy. But Jesus wasn't impressed with that temple either. The Bible tells us that in Jesus' day, as they walked through the temple, the disciples looked, at, looked around at the building and said, Have you ever, Jesus, have you ever seen anything this pretty? And Jesus kind of scoffed at it. He said, The day is coming where there's not one stone going to be left upon another in this place. In other words, he's saying, I'm not really too much into this thing because it wasn't built for God's glory, it was built for Herod's glory. So if he's not talking about the second temple, and if he's not talking about Herod's temple, those are the only, Solomon's, the second temple, and Herod's temple were the only three that Israel had. Then what is he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about just as the Old Testament temple, or house of God, was a type of the church, he's saying the glory of the church will be greater than even the first temple. And the first temple is the only one we have record of that had any glory upon it at all. Uh, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, uh, the priesthood and the, the Pharisees and the, the rulers of the temple, they're just a political arm. They're just trying to control the people through their own traditions and things like that. That's why Jesus had more trouble with the, with the religious folks, the religious leaders, than anybody else. The common person, the Bible says the common man received him gladly. They came to him gladly. 
They, they were willing to hear what he had to say. They wanted to know. They wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear what he had to say about the kingdom of God. But it was always the religious leaders that were trying to control him and trying to conform him to make them look good. And Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. Only people Jesus ever called names were the religious folks. He called them hypocrites. He called them uh, whited sepulchers. He called, said they were of their father, the devil. Jesus was nice to everybody except the religious people. That might be a warning today. I, you know, you decide for yourself. So here where it's talking about the glory of this house, he's talking about the glory of the church. And in fact, he makes reference to certain things where he says, I will shake all nations. That has to do with the end times, the end of time, not the second temple. He says, and the desire of all nations shall come. That has to do with the earth groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, the rapture. These are end time events that, he, that are being referenced here. So he says, I will shake all nations. Anybody see anything shaken today? I don't know of a nation that's not being shaken today. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. He's talking about the rapture. We're close to the rapture. The Bible's telling us when you see nations starting to shake, which we see today, you're close to the end. You know, that used to frighten me. I didn't want the end to come. I'm ready for it to come now. So I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. He's talking about the church. Then he says in verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now why in the world would he attach silver and gold to glory? The church does just the opposite. The church, and I, I'm speaking of by and large the religious church, what we know of as the Western church, the modern day church. And, and by the way, folks, you need to understand the rest of the world is just about completely opposite from America. You look at all the, the church growth um, numbers and statistics and things like that. In everywhere but America, the churches that are growing are the churches that have the power of God. In America, it's just the opposite. In America, we're dignified. We don't want any of that Holy Ghost stuff. We just want social gatherings. But the rest of the world, the only part of the church that's growing are those that are displaying the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the Pentecostal part of the church. I believe some of that's going to change here in America. I believe things are going to get worse and worse. I, I, okay, let me just say it like this. I'm not looking for a political party to save America. I don't believe we're, it, it, where we are on God's timeline, I don't believe a political party can save America. Anyway, the Bible's talking about the glory of the church being greater than of the, even the first and the early temple. And he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. That says to me, now you decide for yourself. I'm not asking you to believe whatever I say about this. But that says to me that there is something about the end times and provision. There is something about God's provision regarding the end time glory that this is referring to that we need to be aware of. I've got, a, I've got things in my heart that are bigger now than they ever have been. I've got things in my heart that are going to cost more money than anything I've ever had in my heart. Well, why would you have that, Pastor Mike? Seems like this would be the time we'd be hunkering down, saving all you get, being careful about where you put it, and whatever. Because the silver and the gold is God's. Now that doesn't mean he's controlling all of it. 
but he's the creator of it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's his. He created it. Now, it's obviously in the hands of the devil by and large. But this indicates to me that there might be some kind of shift. If the silver and the gold is connected with the glory, and the Bible talks about glory in the last days, then there's got to be something that happens. Now, I'm not going to stand here and speculate what that's going to be. I really don't care how it works. Doesn't matter to me, as long as it works. So, in connection with glory, he said, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. Verse 9, the glory of this latter house. Again, he's got to be talking about the church. Can't be talking about the second temple. Can't be talking about Herod's temple. Those are the only other two temples there were. So then the latter house he's talking about has got to be the church. The Bible says, The mystery of the ages is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of this latter house, the glory of the church, in other words, shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now turn back with me to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter 5 tells us the story of when Solomon's temple was dedicated. It was the only temple that we see the glory of God on. The glory of God was not on the second temple. The glory of God was not on Herod's temple. So of the three temples of it that Israel had, there's only one temple. Now that does not, of course, include the sanctuary, the tabernacle of the, the wilderness that Moses was instructed to build. We know the glory of God was on that. But everybody knew that was just a temporary place until Israel came into the promised land. The glory of God was on the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then that glory moved on to Solomon's temple when it was dedicated. Now in Second Chronicles chapter 5, and, you know, if we use this as a type of the church, there are some interesting characteristics, interesting parallels about Solomon's temple as well as the church. And that is, David was not allowed to build the temple because he was a man of war. David was the one that had to defeat the enemies. He had to defeat the Philistines. He had to defeat the Amalekites. He had to defeat some of the others. And he wanted to build God a temple. He was the king of Israel. And God said, no, you can't build it. You're my fighter. But he said, your son will build it. He will be a man of peace. Well, Solomon had the greatest army that Israel ever had. Then or now. And the reason Solomon was a man of peace was because David won the battles. Folks, you need to understand this from a spiritual standpoint. Peace comes. The Bible says Jesus has made peace unto us. Peace comes as a result of winning victories. Not as a result of compromise or appeasement. You can't compromise with the devil in your personal life and expect to have peace. A lot of people try. A lot of people compromise when it comes to church. A lot of people compromise when it comes to believing the Word. A lot of people compromise thinking, well, the devil will leave me alone if I just don't get radical about this stuff. Okay. I'm sure glad Jesus didn't take that attitude when he went to the cross. Jesus gave everything he had. And he demands everything we have too. Now, whether you do that, whether you fulfill that is up to you. But you're not going to find peace if you don't. I remember hearing the story of uh, R.W. Shambach. You remember Brother Shambach? He's just recently gone home to be with the Lord. He was a fireball preacher. Evangelist through and through. Well, when he was a young man, God called him to the ministry and he didn't want to go. So he joined the army. Well, when he joined the army, they sent him to Japan. 
I, I, I say the army, I think he was in the navy, if I remember correctly. And anyway, they shipped him out over to Japan. He set foot on, on the mainland of Japan and said, Oh no, God's here too. <laughs> he thought he was running away from God. Folks, you can't run away from God. You'll never have peace if you're running away from God. You might as well surrender and get in now. Surrender today. Avoid the rush. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Oh, they're healed. Yeah, 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 right. You know, it's just a big show. That's basically the, the idea that I had. I had a healing myself. My knee. When I got it for myself, I guess maybe that's when I, when I, when I said, wait a minute, this is real. In healing school, to me, you learn. First off, that healing is for you. Now I know I can, I can have healing. I can have a healthy body. Come visit Healing School, where you can hear and be healed. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So Solomon dedicates the temple. Now, he went to great, great, great difficulty in, in the way he had to do this temple. He didn't want this temple. We don't have any record that God ever said, do it this way. But, but uh, Solomon thought this was so precious. He, his dad had instilled this in him. His father David had instilled this in him to such a degree. He didn't want the sound of a hammer made in the temple. So he would have everything constructed off-site, and then it was put together, pieced together, like we would think of Legos or something like that in such a specific and such a detailed manner that it came together rather quickly. Now, a couple of things about this are interesting to me. Number one, if da when David found out he wasn't going to be able to build it, he started saving money for it. So when the time came for Solomon to build it, David had already brought his offering and his and other people, the captains in his army, had followed the, uh, his example and brought their offerings too. And if you compute the offering that they gave in modern day dollars, they were in the trillions of dollars. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God provided the money for it. And when the time for the construction and the dedication of the temple was uh, came, when that time uh, came forth, all of a sudden things that had been off-site came together in a very, very short period of time. I believe God's going to do a quick work in the last days, too. I believe those are examples to us of the way God works. And not only that, but it tells us that, that Solomon made such a big deal about it that everybody was on board with this thing. Everybody was on board. So here's the dedication of the temple, Second Chronicles chapter 5. Start reading in verse 11. And it said, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified, and then did not wait by course. In other words, the priests were, had shifts. And certain ones would do certain things at certain times, but now everybody's working together. This is a special day, so everybody's working together. Everybody's on duty. Everybody is, is in here together working hand in hand, which was unusual. Also, verse 12, also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jedithan, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one. Now, please notice that. Were as one. Were as one. This has got to mean something other than singing the same song. 
If folks if singing the same song brought the glory of God, then every time we sang the same song, we'd see the glory of God. It's got to mean something more than that. It says, when they were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now the Bible tells us certain things, and, and we read through some of these scriptures a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to get the, um, uh, get the tape, the MP3, CD, whatever works for you. And, uh, and if for no other reason, just to hear some of the Old Testament scriptures, some of the things that the Bible has to say. Make notes of those things. Study them for yourself. Read through these things yourself. Because you'll find over and over and over again, the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord as being the cloud. It talks about the brightness of it. It talks about the, the shining forth of the glory of God. It talks about in, in one place it says that it was like smoke. And then another thing that I want you to see here is it talks about when they were in one accord. The New Testament speaks of the glory of God coming as a result of the church being in one accord. Now again, that's got to mean something more than all in the same place together. It's got to mean something more than singing together, singing the same song, everybody on harmony or pitch or whatever. You can tell what I know about music. It's got to mean something more than the natural part of that. It has to be something that comes from the inside. One of the things that's always interested me is in Genesis chapter 6 where it tells the story of the Tower of Babel, or Babel, however you say it. It speaks of God coming down to see what they were going to do. They were going to build a tower that stretches into heaven. And the Bible says God looked down and said, Behold, the people are as one. They are as one. They are all of the same purpose and all of the same speech. And then God said, now nothing will be denied from them, whatever they plan or imagine to do. Now folks, what they were planning to do was not according to the will of God. But here's God saying, if people get in the same purpose, if they get of the same mind, the same purpose, and they say the same thing, nothing can stop them. If that's true for things contrary to the will of God, how much more true would that be if we were operating in the will of God? You can very easily see why the devil tries to divide the church. If he can keep the church from being united, if he can keep it from being of the same purpose and of the same speech. Paul said in writing to the Corinthians, he said, I wish that you would say the same thing. You can't even get the church to agree whether or not we should confess the word. That's one of the biggest controversies in the, in the body of Christ today. All those name it and claim it people, those faith people, those word faith people, whatever they want to call us, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just doing what Jesus said do. So you can attach any label you want to on that. But why does the church argue against whether or not we should confess the word? Folks, that's supernatural. That's a supernatural work of the devil to keep the church from going forward. Because if you don't confess the word, God has nothing to honor or, or bring to pass in your life. The unchanging law that began in the Old Testament, even before then, but God revealed, them to it, revealed it to them in the Old Testament. He said, this is the way it's going to be. This is the unchanging law of God. This is the way it will work throughout eternity. You better learn to walk by faith here because you're going to need it in heaven. It doesn't say this will work for as long as the earth is here. It says it will work this way throughout eternity. I will deal with you according to the words that you have spoken in my ears. 
That's what God said. Why does the church say otherwise? There's something about being united that brings the glory of God. That, in my opinion, is why we see the glory of God manifest more in healing school than we do any other services. Because everybody knows what we're coming for. We're not just showing up at the same place at the same time. We're not just singing the same song on the same key or whatever the case might be. We know what our purpose is. And folks, that is the very reason why I'm teaching on the glory of God. I want you to know what the purpose of coming to church is. Your purpose may be just to satisfy your conscience. Some people's purpose may be to come and meet somebody that they can do business with. Somebody else's purpose may be for, uh, you know, well, I've got friends there. None of those may be wrong things. But none of those bring the glory of God. My purpose is to see God move every time we come. That's the only reason I come. Listen, if I'm looking for somewhere to talk, I don't have to come here. I can't go home, but... But there are other places I could go. We need to be of the same purpose. Well, what is that purpose? Why do people go to church? You tell me, why do the majority of people that are in church today, right now, throughout America, why are they there? I would suggest that the percentage that has anything to do with the glory of God would be so small it might not even register. You know, the Bible says, uh, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen was the first martyr? He's brought before the Jewish leaders and, and they make accusation against him. One of the first things that, they, that uh, Stephen said in his defense, he, he ended up, when they began to stone him, he, the heavens opened and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I see him in glory. Well, one of the first things that uh, Stephen started to say was that God was the God of glory. There's a verse of scripture, I think it's Psalm 73, about verse 24, something like that. It said, Thou wilt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me into glory. Folks, you need to understand, heaven is the glory realm. Heaven is the glory realm. And the Bible says that meeting certain conditions, most of them having to do with the word, we could have days of heaven on the earth. Well, if heaven is the glory realm, wouldn't that be days of glory here on the earth? Wouldn't that be a promise for us to see his glory while we're here? Stephen said that God had appeared unto Abraham. The God of glory had appeared unto Abraham. Look with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let me show you something about this. How did God appear to Abraham? Paul said in Galatians, he said that God preached the gospel to Abraham. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I can't imagine that, that the Holy Ghost could reveal to Paul that God preached the gospel to Abraham unless God said something to him about offering his son as a sacrifice for mankind. I mean, how could anything else that he said be considered the gospel if it doesn't include that? You see where I'm coming from? If that was the case, then that makes sense to me why Abraham would be so willing to offer his son Isaac on the altar and expect him to be raised from the dead. 
Faith begins where the will of God is known. What would be the basis for Abraham's willingness to offer Isaac on the altar? Unless he had some knowledge of God's plan. And Paul says that he had. Paul said that, that God preached the gospel to him. Notice in Genesis 15, God has appeared to him before and made the promise of making him the father of nations and so forth. Abraham said, here's a, a place where Abraham says, well, how will I know? God says, I like how God begins this in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Now notice how it says it. The word of the Lord came in a vision. The word of the Lord came in a vision. He had a vision and he heard God. Keep that in mind. And what did the Lord say? He said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The word shield means um, uh, protection. It literally means to be thick-skinned like an alligator. And then it was where it says, I am your exceeding great reward. It literally means I am your vehemently increasing payment. I love that. Vehemently increasing payment. Some people say, well, what does it pay to serve God? <laughs> Are you kidding? He is your shield and your exceedingly, or your vehemently increasing payment. Abraham talks to him and he says, um, uh, Lord, you, you said that I'm uh, in your favor and so forth, but how, what sign will I, uh, do I have? How will I know? That you're going to give me a child. How will I know this, that, and the other? It says that God makes the covenant of circumcision with him. And I want you to see what it says. God gives him instruction. Um, oh, I don't want to read the whole thing. But it says, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll summarize it. He tells Abraham to take certain animals, cut them in half, divide them, shed the blood there, cut them in half. And uh, then it says a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Now, that's a real hard translation. Because there's no, there's no real explanation of what's going on a deep sleep if Abraham is asleep then he can't be seeing what's going on it doesn't tell us that it's a vision it tells us in verse 1 that he had a vision and heard the word of the Lord so it wouldn't make sense for him to have a uh, be asleep and have a vision and it not tell us about it here it wouldn't be consistent so the deep sleep is kind of different uh, or difficult for a translation but at any rate whatever happened it says that the, it, it would in indicate to us that Abraham's state or condition changed in some manner and then it says that, um, uh, verse 17, notice this, God tells him some things that are going to happen. 400 years are down the road, this is going to happen, the Amorites and, and uh, taken into bondage and different things like that. And then it says in verse 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. Now another translation, the margin of my Bible says instead of burning lamp, it says flaming torch. If you look at smoking furnace... Look up those words in the Hebrew, you'll find out that it literally means a vaporous glistening. Well, that sounds like what the Bible tells us about the glory of God, doesn't it? The brightness, cloud, smoke. In other words, it's telling us that when God appeared to Abraham, it, he appeared in glory. Over and over again, the Bible says that there was a cloud and the Lord appeared in the midst of the cloud. Or the brightness of the Lord appeared in the midst of the, the cloud. That's the same thing that happened with Abraham here. God has placed His Spirit within each one of us and has given us one commandment for the new covenant. That commandment is the law of love. Come join us at Foothill Family Church and learn how we can love others just like Jesus loved us. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. He was teaching about faith. That was integral to me getting out of the situations that I was in, moving through those to a better place and having God be my source for it versus me trying to do it myself. Coming here was just like layer by layer, getting down to the basics and then starting to build again. So I definitely have matured since I've been here. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.